1: Fans, it's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast. Bears being powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you. And that was a rough one. Packers week flopped as it usually does at Lambeau Field. Tough one for the Chicago Bears losing in the fashion that they did, being pretty dominated throughout that game. We're going to dive into it. We're going to talk plenty about what's going on with the Chicago Bears through two games. A few thoughts with you first, and then we'll bring on our featured guest this week, Danny Parkins from The Score. He will join us here in a little bit, but plenty to get into. So let's just dive right into what we were seeing. And Before we get into the game, I'm going to spend about 30 seconds on this. The Justin Fields comments about the fans afterwards. I don't even know how this became a story. Luckily, I didn't see like NFL Network. I didn't see like the ESPN, the national media trying to run this as like Justin Fields doesn't care about the fans kind of thing. It kind of died in Chicago, largely on Twitter as as far as I could tell, but that, that shouldn't have been a story at all. You've got a young quarterback who just lost against his rival. He's frustrated. He didn't get to throw a lot through two games. He's thrown 28 passes. Yes, they're one and one, which is a bit of a, a pleasant surprise. But because he didn't word it perfectly, saying that it's their job and that they, you know, can't, you know, they're in the locker room and putting in the hours, and so it's harder for them than the fans, really going to make a big deal about that i mean the fact that that was even remotely a story it should have been that should have been left alone and moved forward and people talking about what is on the field so that's that's where i'm going to leave it there that's a non-story for me as far as i'm concerned i don't think fans have anything to be bent out of shape about it was a innocuous off-the-cuff comment uh, about, uh, uh, you know, how he feels about losing a game. You should be thrilled that Justin Fields is upset and pissed that that he lost that game. If he came out and said, oh, I'm sure the fans are upset, but to us, it's just another game, he would have been fried. You, you'd be damn well pleased that he's that upset after the game. So people trying to turn that into a negative is just beyond stupid to me. Uh, and, and the other thing I do want to talk about before we get is on the field is you are not going to hear me bitching about the refs On this podcast. Were there mistakes made by the referees? Absolutely. And I had conversations with people about this after the game. I am not looking at that Chicago Bears game as the referees were the reason that blank happened. And I understand that that should have been a touchdown for Justin Fields. And that should have closed it to seven. But to me, that seven was still a mountain of points for them to come back on the way that both sides were playing on for both teams, F- flat out. That offense, I understand they were running the ball pretty well, but they were not throwing the ball efficiently. It was not working for the Chicago Bears offensively. And defensively, they could not stop the Packers' run game at all. There was no reason to think that closing it to seven and kicking the ball back to Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, that there was going to be any, any possibility that they were going to stop them. And I know we're all playing the what-if games, but to me, when you watch that game and you can sit there and point at the touchdown and point at the the ghost block and that was a penalty and and, and, and the non-touchdown, I guess I should say, and a couple of the other issues... But the bottom line is the Green Bay Packers played a significantly better game than the Chicago Bears, period. And and to me, sitting there and saying that the referees impacted this game, no, they didn't. What impacted this game is the fact that the Green Bay Packers outplayed the Chicago Bears. And potentially, could the game have been a bit closer? Sure. But I don't think, you know, if if you had the Bears plus 10 and you want to bitch about that, that's one thing. But when you're talking about how this team played, I am not going to look at, at the officials in this game at all. And, and here's the one thing I will say. And is this is it right? No, it's not right. But we, we talk about all the time how the Green Bay Packers seem to get all the calls, right? The Tampa Bay Bucks slash New England Patriots, wherever Tom Brady is, seem to get all the calls. Well, let me ask you a question. Name a team that is consistently good, that does not get the calls, that the refs seemingly seem to be against. The only one I can come up with is the Ravens. I feel like the Ravens get a lot of calls against them, and it's largely Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson seems to get a lot of calls against him or doesn't get calls that a lot of other, you know, top 10 quarterbacks in the league get. That's the only one I can come up with, because when you have Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady Patrick Mahomes, and you are constantly going 11, 12, 13 wins a season, you get the benefit of the call from the referees. Should that be the case? No, it should not be the case. But 100% that happens. I mean, how often did we hear NBA fans, if you're old enough, bitching in the 90s about how the Chicago Bulls get all the calls? You hear it all the time. And we as Bulls fans will sit there and point out the Hubert Davis ghost call against Scottie Pippen. But we heard it all the time from opposing teams because the Bulls were consistently winning. And that's what happens. So if you want the Chicago Bears to start getting the calls from the officials, maybe they shouldn't win six games a year. Maybe they should start winning 10, 11 games a year consistently 12 games a year consistently become a quality franchise which is something they have not been really since the 1980s in terms of consistently winning which is hard to take that it's we're going on you know approaching 40 years since this team was consistently winning football games couple of good years with Lovey, but that wasn't consistent enough that's not what I'm talking about these teams that have a plate place at the table in the playoffs Every year, that is how you get the officials. And look, should it be that way? No, of course not. Every game should be right down the middle, objectively called, perfect. But that's just—it's not human nature. So, if you want to complain about the refs, this isn't the podcast for you. I didn't have a major issue. Yeah, sure, I was upset with some calls, but I didn't think it impacted the game like some other people did. So, wanted to get that stuff off. But let's let's talk about what we've seen on the field here because. To me, I've got a few alarm bells that have that have sounded off here. I understand we're only two games in. There is absolutely no reason to panic two games in. I think most Bears fans thought the Bears would be 0-2 at this point. The fact that they're one and one is fantastic. And now they've got two games coming up that are winnable games. They're favored against the Houston Texans. They won't be favored against the Giants, but it'll be close. Like the Giants will be minus three or whatever it might be. So uh, you know, these are two games here that were really, I think. These are the games now to focus on in terms of what is the Chicago Bears team. I mean, we know this is a rebuilding season. People that thought this team was going to win 10, 11 games, I don't understand what they were looking at. That's besides the point. This is a rebuilding season. This is a We've said this on this podcast and plenty of other people have said this. This is a team that is looking at 2023. 2023 when they have gobs of cap space, when I think they're expecting to have a top 10, maybe even a top five pick. <laughs> And, and they're going to have the resources to really build up this roster and infuse a lot of talent in it. Because this roster does not have a lot of talent right now. And it is tough to watch how little talent they have in a lot of different aspects of this of this te- team. But what we have the biggest alarm bells about to me is Justin Fields and Luke Getze. Because those two guys are arguably the two most important people uh, with this franchise right now, because this offense needs to become something. Justin Fields needs to become something. He needs Luke Getze's coaching. Matt Eberflus isn't sitting there and working on his footwork, you know, with him 12 hours a day. Luke Getzey and that offensive coaching staff is the critical components here to get Justin Fields to that next level. And we've absolutely seen positive signs with Justin Fields. You know, the, the the opening drive against the Packers, I understand most of it was on the ground, but that opening drive against the Packers, when he was called upon to do stuff, he, he did it well. We saw some great plays that he made against the San Francisco 49ers. Not saying the talent isn't there, and I am a believer, and if you listen to this podcast consistently, you know I am a believer in Justin Fields, and I think that he has the goods to be the best Bears quarterback since Sid Luckman. And, and yeah, I understand you go back to the 1940s, it's ridiculous, but that's how much of a dearth of talent there's been at the at the Bears quarterback position. I think he has the potential to be the best Bears quarterback in the last 70 plus years. And, and that is a lot to put on a quarterback's shoulders, but I do think he has that level of talent. The problem with it is right now, and unfortunately, it's things that were brought up on this podcast, brought up by by other people that cover the Chicago Bears. There are some issues that people saw in the offseason that are bubbling up right now. The investment on the offensive line was funky. You know, people can sit there and say, oh, well, they got Lucas Patrick, and they drafted a bunch of offensive linemen. Yeah, but they drafted day three offensive linemen. Those linemen aren't going to make an impact usually. I understand Braxton Jones is out there starting, but those guys aren't going to make an impact in year one, usually, you know, Reef and Schofield. I was glad they they addressed that with veterans, but again, that's that's nitpicking at the issue. That's hoping for the best and not really addressing the issue head on. They needed to bring in a legitimate veteran presence. The Patrick thing was great, but they needed to bring in another guy that they thought was going to be able to start with for, on this team for three or four years. A veteran, a stabilizing presence, whether it be a guard or tackle. I I think that was a misstep. Yeah, I talked about how he didn't, he wasn't going to have anyone to throw to. And we've seen what Darnell Mooney and Colt Komet through two games have a total of two yards, I believe. I I mean, the the lack of talent, there is a problem. The offensive line is not pass blocking well. Don't give me ESPN, if you like advanced stats, don't give me the ESPN pass block win rate, which the Bears are good at right now. They're, They're not pass blocking well. Larry Borum has had issues. Braxton Jones I thought looked better than he did against San Francisco with Green Bay that that was that was pretty good there but we've seen Cody Whitehair get stomped uh, a couple of times we've seen Sam Mustafer get stomped you know Lucas Patrick I think has looked pretty good overall from what I could tell Tevin Jenkins has looked pretty good better obviously in the run game he has mauled some people in the run game that's why Tevin Jenkins needs to be out there hopefully Lucas Patrick can snap the ball soon Because getting Patrick to center and Tevin Jenkins playing a full game at right guard needs to happen for this offensive line. And Luke Getze, and now suddenly after the Packers game, a lot of people are going to fry Luke Getze for his play calls. And I did not like what I saw. A lot of runs on second and long. You can't do that regularly. All you're doing is setting up third and longs. And for Justin Fields in this offense, you cannot be in third and longs. You cannot and expect to convert them. Most teams struggle in third and long. The Chicago Bears have no business being in third and long. And I understand you need to establish the run. I understand they could not get the Packers off the field, so they were limited in terms of what plays they could run on their side of the football, uh, on the offensive side of the football. But you cannot, cannot sit here and tell me that Luke Getze's game plan was, was a sound one. I, I thought he made some nice adjustments and made, you know, there were some good play designs and good play calls against San Francisco in the second half. But but we're sitting here now through six out of the eight quarters where this Bears offense has looked anemic. It has looked bad on every aspect. And you can sit there and say, well, Justin Fields, you know he you know, he isn't what we were hoping he would be at this point, but at the same time, He doesn't have great pass protection. He doesn't have a lot of people to throw to. And I think the scheme has let him down a little bit. The play calling has let him down a little bit, especially against against the Packers here. Again, it's early. And I want to keep stressing that. It's early. But there are things in Justin Fields' game that we haven't seen a lot of improvement on. Pocket awareness. We have not seen it. He's taken some bad sacks. He has fumbled the football. He has thrown the ball when he's been over the line of scrimmage. There, there are things we've seen out of Justin Fields here through this part of the season that you wanted to sit there and say, I was hoping we would see less of this. He needed to start ironing this out. You know, the timing throws. There are balls, open receivers that he has missed on a lot of different plays. ESB was streaking open on one of the pass plays uh, where, where I believe Fields, he might even have taken a sack. A, 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 an ESP against the Packers was streaking open, wide open. If Fields saw him, it may have been a touchdown. It may have been a 50, 60-yard gain or where he gets pushed out at like the 15, 20-yard line. He missed it. That's going to happen. I understand there's going to be growing pains, but you can't sit there and say, well, Fields only had 10 passes. He's only had 28 passes. Tough to judge. It is tough to judge, but we still have to judge on the sample size. And the sample that we've seen Things have not ironed out as much as I think we'd like to see at this point. I've mentioned this many times, stacking plays. Justin Fields needs to stack plays. We know how talented he is. We know what he can do as an athlete in terms of making, you know, buying time in the pocket, getting the ball down the field with his dynamic arm, you know, creating time, moving in the pocket. We, we know everything he can do, and he will continue to flash it because he has that level of talent. But at the same time, he we've seen it a couple times with those drives where he stacks two, three, four, five good throws in a row, gets the chains moving, moves the ball down the field. We need to see him do that. And we have not seen that very much. Last year, a little bit against the Steelers, uh, you know, a drive here, there, San Francisco, second half, we saw it a little bit there last year. This year, couple drives against San Francisco, you know, if you, again, it was mostly running plays, but the, that first drive against Green Bay, we need to see Justin Fields stack plays that create scoring drives, you know, and not because they get a fluke 40-yard play, I'm talking about scoring drives. Eight plays, 75 yards, six minutes and 45 seconds off the clock kind of scoring drives. We're not seeing that regularly with Justin Fields and this offense. That's the thing. To me, that is the biggest thing for me. I wanna see Justin Fields, uh, you know, stack plays, and I want to see him do that consistently. He's not gonna be able to do that every single drive, but I need to see him do that consistently and I need to see him on third downs. Third downs in reasonable. So six and less. I need to see Justin Fields converting third downs. That is a critical job of a quarterback, making sure he's reading the play, making the right call and getting the first down and a a fresh set of downs. I need to see that consistently. Haven't seen that yet. That's what I need to see Justin Fields building on moving forward. But you know, this isn't just about Justin Fields. I mean, it really is for the course of this season in terms of getting him to develop and become as good of a quarterback as he can become. But in terms of, if we're going to, you know, you know, we, we sit there and say this is a rebuilding year, but at the same time, we're going to be watching 17 games here. We need to analyze and we need to look at what we're actually watching. We can't just sit there every time and be like, it doesn't matter, it's a rebuilding year. Because we're still watching this team play. And if I'm watching this team play, I want to take a look at what I'm looking at here. And to me, really tough to judge any of the uh, weapons on the offensive side of the football, at least in terms of receiving weapons, because of how limited opportunities they've had with what has been happening in terms of how many offensive plays they've had, plus the monsoon. Difficult here. So, you know, Mooney and Komet. This next game against Houston, Luke Getzey needs to make sure he's getting the ball into Darnell Mooney's hands. Other than Justin Fields, he is your best offensive player. He's better than David Montgomery. He needs the ball in his hands. That needs to happen. That needs to be a focal point this week, being like, all right, how are we going to get Darnell Mooney involved in this offense? He hasn't been for two weeks. That's a problem. Cole Komet, I still don't think Cole Komet is a special player, but Cole Komet's still one of your better players on this offense. He needs to be involved in the offense. I understand he, you know, dropped ball. He hasn't been perfect. Cole Komet, you need to figure it out. Luke Getzey, you need to get him involved. Running the ball, they are running the ball well. Continue to do that, that. That's good to see. I think the run blocking has been solid. The pass blocking has been questionable. Kind of a, a story of two tails. you know, two tails there with this offensive line. Tough to call them bad. Tough to call them good because they are succeeding in one aspect and really struggling in the other aspect. And defensively, I mean, I will admit pretty pleased overall with what I've seen out of the pass rush. Uh, we've seen Quinn get home a little bit. We saw Robinson flash a lot in week one. We saw Gibson play pretty well there against Green Bay. They're, the pass rush better than I expected. Now, I'm not saying it's, it's amazing they're getting home all the time, but the pass rush has been solid. Run defense, again, two tails here with up front. The run defense has been atrocious they cannot stop the run they cannot get the opposing team off the field so they can't get their offense on the field and when their offense has gotten on the field we saw a lot of three and outs so they have to figure it out and i get san francisco and green bay can run the football efficiently hopefully things will get better in that front because they have been steamrolled defensively when it comes to running the football so the defensive line has struggled on that and roquan smith has not looked good. He has not looked like the the guy who is supposed to anchor a defensive uh, defensive group here. He has he's really struggled. He he's been taken out of plays. He even unblocked on some plays. You could you still don't see, see him losing pursuit angles to you know to Aaron Jones. I mean, it was it, it has he has not made an impact for two straight games. I don't know. Is is his head not in it because the negotiations didn't go well? Is he rusty because he wasn't practicing and wasn't learning this new scheme like he needed to? I'm not sure exactly what the issue is. But Roquan Smith, right now, if you're a Bears fan, and I don't care if you're the biggest Roquan Smith fan in the world, right now, you are happy that the Chicago Bears did not dole out a five-year, $100 million contract. And and I sat there and I said, look, I believe Roquan Smith, based on what he did previously, deserves a five-year, $100 million contract with about $55 million guaranteed. Because I believe him to be, when he's playing well, in that elite group of Warner and Leonard uh, at, at the linebacking position. But I've also said numerous times that, I don't know if I would pay a linebacker, you know, a non-pass rushing linebacker, you know, not an edge, off-ball backer here, $20 million a year. That is kind of, to me, the equivalent of paying a running back. I would, unless you have a talent, Jonathan Taylor potentially, what Derrick Henry was, you know, that level of special, Adrian Peterson in his prime, those running backs you pay, Those running backs are difference makers. But if you just have a good running back, and David Montgomery is a good running back, you don't pay those guys. You let those guys go. You let someone else pay those guys. You just put together running back, a running back room of solid players. And that's what I think you can do with linebackers for the most part in modern day NFL too. It is not as critical of a position. Unfortunate for Roquan Smith. So again... I have no problem with how things played out on either side in the offseason. I think Roquan Smith should be holding out for five years, hundred million, 55 million guaranteed and no balloon amounts of, of money, you know, no funny money, 35 million in the fifth year that he's never gonna see kind of a thing. I think Roquan Smith should have been, he should have hired an agent, but he should have been trying to get that kind of money. And the Chicago Bears, a new regime, paying a linebacker, that kind of money, they absolutely should have been hesitant and, and not wanting to do that level. So I'm fine with the way this played out for both sides. They still have the franchise tag in their hip pocket. But right now, Roquan, and I expect him to be better, but right now Roquan Smith is not playing well. And uh, the secondary here, the one thing I'll say about the secondary is, you know, strikes and gutters, right? That's That's where we are right now. Brisker, I think, has looked like a solid pick. He has had some some very good moments in the second. Again, he's had a couple issues, but I think Brisker's looked good. Gordon has flash talent, but I think overall Gordon hasn't looked great. And I honestly wonder if it's fair what the Chicago Bears are doing, basically trying to make him learn nickel and outside corner at the same time at the NFL level and basically having him play both. I understand they don't have enough talent on the defensive side of the ball in the secondary to just keep him in one spot right now. But that is a lot to ask of Gordon. So he's tough to judge. Is he struggling? Yeah, he's struggling. And you know, the Aaron Rodgers picked at him all game, but at the same time, they are asking him to do an awful lot. And, and, and they are putting him in a tough spot. And Eddie Jackson, Eddie Jackson's looked pretty good. We had hoped we'd see a little resurgence out of Eddie Jackson in this defense and again has Eddie Jackson been perfect no he hasn't been perfect but Eddie Jackson has looked significantly better I thought in these two games than he had the last couple of years so it's not just Justin Fields obviously the focal point needs to be Justin Fields but there's plenty of things where you sit there and if you're gonna watch the Bears here for 17 games like we all plan to do that you're gonna sit there You, you know you want to see Brisker and Gordon develop you need to see Gordon play better if Roquan Smith is going to be a part of this defense moving forward, he needs to play better. If you want Justin Fields to develop, the defense needs to stop the run so they can get the offense back out on the field. That needs to be better. The pass blocking needs to be better. Hopefully, getting Mustafer off the field, that's not the only problem. Olin Krutz, if you're listening, that is not the only problem with the offensive pass blocking but getting Sam Mustafer off the field with Patrick and Jenkins is absolutely a better center right guard combo. The pass blocking needs to be better. Getze needs to be better and Justin Fields needs to be better. We need to see a lot of improvement. And again, I'm thrilled they're one and one Texans. They're favored For Giants on the road winnable game. It is possible the Chicago Bears are three and one after four games But it is also possible that this team is 1-3 and after four games with a couple losses to teams that are winnable. We have not seen this team consistently play well yet. We saw a streak against San Francisco, which because of the fluky conditions was enough. And we did not see it other than that opening drive. We did not see it against Green Bay at all. So this team needs to be better. And you can sit there and say rebuild and all that, yada, yada, yada. I understand and I talked about that since, you know, basically week one with polls that this was, he was going to rip up the roster just like Ryan Pace did. He was going to dump all of Pace's guys just like Pace did with Emery's guys. He's only going to keep a handful of players from the Ryan Pace era. So don't get too attached to a lot of these guys because not many of them are going to be around here in a couple more years. That's just the nature of the business. And this year was going to be a struggle year, but it doesn't mean that we can't sit here and look at it and go, Larry Borum has struggled. Braxton Jones has shown flashes, but he certainly isn't, you know, the, all right, we're going to count on Braxton Jones for the next 10 years at left tackle. There, you know, if you want to focus on the guys who potentially will be here for the next several years, that's fine. I understand we don't need to sit there and and focus on Justin Jones because Justin Jones has a two-year contract and probably won't see another one in Chicago. So I understand There are certain guys who are just stopgap players, but we still need to look at everything overall and how this team is playing moving forward. And right now, right now, there are plenty of concerns. But again, you'll take one and one, especially based on, I think, the fact that most of us thought they'd be 0-2 and a winnable game against Houston. But I've been going on for a lot, had a lot on my mind, plenty to talk about. Want to get to Danny Parkins So let's take a break, and he joins us on the other side. This is Bill Zimmerman, Bears Banter. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Excited for this guest. He's he's nice enough to come on. Pretty much every year has the last few years. It's always a fun, engaging conversation. Looking forward to it. He is at Danny Parkins on Twitter. Host the afternoon show on the Score. You know him well. Danny Parkins joins us now. Danny, Bill Zimmerman, how are you?
0: Bill, good to be back on the show, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me.
1: Thanks, thanks for jumping on. Uh, there's there's plenty to get into here. Um, so, so let me just kind of start with kind of your, your overall vibe on where you are with the Bears through two games. You know, obviously, it's it's tough to judge anything after just two games. But at the same time, you know, this is all we have to go off of for Justin Fields, new scheme, new regime, all this. I think it's been a bit of a roller coaster for fans riding really high week one and really low week two. So where are you in this whole process after two games?
0: I rode the roller coaster also uh, and I'm trying to kind of center myself and I'm normally pretty good at that. Uh, My co-host Matt Spiegel calls me his rational thought provider. So I look at it like all off season, I was saying we need to judge Justin Fields this year on a curve because they're carrying So much dead cat money, and Sunday Night Football did a good job of illustrating it, right? $63 million going to players who are not on the roster. So there is objectively a talent deficiency here. They're not supposed to win this year. They're not supposed to be good this year. And when the schedule came out, most Bears fans said, really easy schedule. But if you were going to go game by game, I think most Bears fans would have said that two of the three toughest games on the schedule were Niners and at Packers. Niners have the best defense, arguably, in the NFL. Lambeau at night is a horror show for the Bears. And then the hardest game maybe is Buffalo at at home, right? So with all of that context, I think you take one-and-one with Justin Fields having some nice moments in the second half of the Niners game in a monsoon. Like I, I think that if you zoom out, you should take that. Now, having said that, he doesn't look comfortable in the pocket. He doesn't look like he's taken a step in terms of the game slowing down and processing things after the snap. And that's the number one thing you need to be a successful quarterback in the NFL. How much of that is the opponents and the conditions in which he played? How much of it is that he's in his third offensive system in three years? How much of it is the lack of pass protecting talent on the offensive line and playmaking talent around him in the passing game? We don't know. We need more data points. He's 12 starts into his career. He's going to assuming health finished this year with 27 starts. And so we're going to learn a lot more about Justin Fields as we go. But obviously what we've seen overall in the eight quarters of the season has been concerning. Uh, But I'm not close to panicking yet because of all of the caveats and reasons that I just outlined. Yeah,
1: I agree. I think we're, you know, obviously getting a, I think like you said, most Bears fans probably had this team, you know, if you play the win-loss game, you know when the schedule comes out. Probably had them at zero and two. Even if you were an optimist, I guess potentially some people would have a one and one. I doubt there was one fan in the world who thought they'd be two and zero at this point. So I agree with that. There's it's it's way too early to to panic, and there's a lot of football in front of Justin Fields and and the rest of the the, the team here. Um, so before we dive into Justin Fields completely let me just ask you about the off-season approach because I felt the off-season approach was a bad one in terms of developing Justin Fields. Like my my whole thing going into this year was Justin, we we need to know in 17 regular season games is, is Justin Fields the guy? Is he going to be the Chicago Bears quarterback for the next decade? Is that the plan? Uh, and, And I feel that's important because if Justin Fields struggles, this team may only win three, four or five games because they're just not going to have an offense. And if that's the case, if you're sitting with the third, fourth pick, or even potentially the better pick, you don't get those picks that often. You need to say, do we need to look at Stroud or Young or whoever it might be? So I feel that this was a critically important year to learn about Justin Fields. And I think the limited, again, and Cap space, I understand, is a huge play in this. But with the limited resources they had, their second-round picks, the money they did have to spend in, in free agency, I felt the focus was in the wrong place. I felt they needed to try and find maybe a more stabilizing veteran on the offense, maybe an actual legitimate threat to go opposite Darnell Mooney. I think there were things that could have been done to help Justin Fields because, you know, when you look at the developing of a quarterback, that second year is critical and we can play the, oh, this is like a rookie year. Last year doesn't count, but it's his second year in the league. So I had issues with the off season approach getting to this point. Were you
0: okay with what Ryan Poles did with his limited resources? No, I felt, I felt largely the same way. Um, I thought that the Jaquan Brisker pick was my biggest objection to the whole thing. Uh, cornerback is arguably the second most important position in football. So I didn't have a problem with the Kyler Gordon selection. Like if you think he's a first round talent at corner and you're going to have the second Jalen Johnson, but right? you've got a five plus year starter at corner in the second round, that's a great pick. Uh, a ball hawking, Safety is like Eddie Jackson going for the interceptions and like a up playing by the line safety who's like a force in the run game and an enforcer. It's real tough for me to justify that value when four of the next six picks are wide receivers and they're picked by really good franchises, right? Patriots select Tyquan Thornton, Colts select Alec Pierce, Steelers select George Pickens, Chiefs select Sky Moore. So that is... Terrified me. And that's how I led the show the day after the draft. Having said all of that, they didn't draft Justin Fields, this regime. So I think they think that Luke Getze and competent coaching is going to be enough. And that they're too good because of the new coach bump with Matt Eberflus to be in the running for Stroud or Young. So I think it's overwhelmingly likely that Justin Fields is your starter next year. And then I think the team we should be talking about is the comp is the Miami Dolphins. What the Dolphins did this offseason, Now the difference will be the bears aren't going to go out and hire their version of Mike McDaniel. They already committed to Eberflus and we'll see if Getzey is still here next year. Obviously we hope he is for continuity's sake, but I think what the Dolphins did was they said, we're going to go out and get Chase Edmonds. We're going to get Raheem Mostert. We're going to sign a tackle. We're going to trade the farm for Tyreek Hill. We're going to bring back Jaseki. We have Jalen Waddell. Now there is no question that what surrounds Tua is enough and we'll either sink or swim. And if we 500 swimming,
1: yards and six touchdowns.
0: Well, yeah, and, that, and that's one game, and there are some coverage breakdowns, and, and we'll see. Sure. But, like – I think that the Dolphins basically said, okay, Tua, now you have everything you could possibly want. It's either either we win with you or we lose because of you. And if we lose because of you, you're gone, and we're going to be a super attractive place for veteran disgruntled quarterback X to come to. Like whoever this offseason's Russell Wilson is You know, like they're, they're going to be able to, who wouldn't want to go play on, on South Beach and throw to Jalen Waddell and, and Tyree Kill. And so I think with hundred million in cap space and likely a top 10 pick that next year, you're going to see the Bears, the wide receiver class in free agency is pretty awful. So I think that they're going to probably draft a receiver in the first round and sign a tackle or two and throw offseason resources next year, likely for Justin Fields, maybe draft a mid-round quarterback, and let's go. I think, I think that's the plan. And do I think that's entirely fair to the next 15 games in this season and ideal for watchability? No. Like I said, I would have rather had George Pickens or, or Alec Pierce or whomever. But I think that that's what they're doing and I just don't think that like the last regime was so pot committed to Mitch Trubisky because they had to keep doubling down on their mistake of taking them over Mahomes and Watson and their lives were tied to him, their professional lives. These guys don't feel like their professional lives are tied to Justin Fields. So why hemorrhage resources in a limited resource year for a guy that you don't necessarily need to do everything to, to support.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I do get that. And, you know, the, the Trubisky situation again, and and I agree with that is, you know, obviously it's a little different because pace is the continuity there. You know, Nagy came in in year two. um, And and I will say though, um, when you look at a quarterback going into year two, a critical developmental year, Going into year two for Mitch Trubisky, what did Brian Pace go out and do? Now, again, like I agree, totally different that Poles not committed to Fields and Pace was, but he went out and he got Allen Robinson and he got Trey Burton and James Daniels was drafted in the second round and Anthony Miller was drafted in the second round. Like That offseason was a focal point on surrounding Mitch Trubisky with as many Taylor Gabriel they signed. You know, as many weapons as possible. And, you know, and I agree. I think they looked at last year as a crappier for Fields and, you know, a lot of things not put in place for him. And I think you're right. I do think they're like, all right, we're going to put Getze in here. We're going to coach him up. We'll fix some of the issues he has. And then we'll go all in for 2023 with, you know, our 100 million in cap space and a high draft pick. Um, again, I wouldn't put it past them to, to still pick a defensive player. You know, if they've, if they've got the fifth, sixth pick in the draft and, you know, defensive tackle, if that three tech is there, you know, Carter, someone like that. I'll probably lose my mind if that happens. I think you can't eliminate that as a possibility.
0: Sure. Um, Sure. I I want,
1: I want that investment in offenses as well, but I think you have to sit there and go that that's, that's definitely out there. But, you know, looking at this year and looking at what Fields has, obviously you need to look at at scheme and how he feels and looks in that scheme. And I think the one thing, and you brought it up earlier, that is to me the most alarming, and I get we've had a very limited amount of opportunities to see Justin drop back to pass this year. But the pocket awareness to me you know, maybe it flashes, looks a little better. And I'm not talking about the athleticism to get himself more time and space. You know, that's that's different. But, you know, taking a bad sack, throwing the ball when you're two or three yards over the line of scrimmage, as we saw, there's there's still something, and I can't put my finger on exactly what the issue is with him, if it's just a comfort level, if it's trust in the offensive line. But I just, I'm feeling and when I say this, I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but I I, I'm getting Mitch Trubisky in the pocket vibes sometimes with Justin. And I talked about that a little bit before you jumped on the pocket awareness to me is the one thing that I have not seen improvement in that is starting
0: to put up, you know, a few alarm bells for me. Yeah, it should. It should. I mean, it's the, it's the biggest, it's the, you need to do it to be a quarterback in the NFL for a decade, like period you can, you know, you can be a freak of nature athletically and be really talented and do really great things but but Justin Fields is not cam newton you know he's not he's not lamar jackson like he's a he's a good athlete he's big and strong but at ohio state that dude stood in there and fired the ball down the field yes, like he's a, he's a deep ball thrower like he you want him to be an assassin throwing the football he's a good runner but he's not Lamar. He's not, he's not Kyler. You know, he it's, he has it, but it's you, you need for him to be great. He needs to be great from the pocket. And we haven't seen it yet. Period. Um, Mike Mart says you either have it or you don't. Trent Dilfer, who comes on the show every Monday and is amazing, says that you can improve on it week to week. Part of it is scheme and like getting him layups. I thought that that was an amazing point that Dilfer made. He was like, where was the jet sweep? Just snap it into the shotgun, toss it to the receiver. Technically, it's a completion, but it's basically a handoff. But now he's got a completion. Where, where is the sprint right? Just dump it off three yard game. Like where, where, where are the layups? Where are the free throws? You know. Um, so I think that they they have work to do. I think if you and I talk in two weeks after the Texans and the Giants. And there isn't some more moments in the passing game. It's a lot more alarming than monsoon game against top three defense and night game at Lambeau where that crowd was rocking in a must win game. You know, let's just like and people say, well, then you're being soft on him or grading him on a curve. Fine. Like, you know, uh, Mike March was like, Justin Herbert had it. He's like Tyrod Taylor got hurt. Herbert came in and he just had it immediately. And that's true. But he also had Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and Austin Eckler. And, you know, then in the offseason, they signed Corey Lindsley, arguably the best center in the league, right? And they draft Rashawn Slater, a top 10 pick at tackle, who's one of the best tackles in football. Like, you cannot even come close to comparing you know, what Herbert has. And I love Justin Herbert, right? I, But you can't come close to comparing what's around those guys. You know, I get some pushback for the Josh Allen comp. Uh, it took Josh Allen a while and he wasn't thrown to anybody. And then when he, when he had a few years with Dable and they got Stefan Diggs and they got Gabe Davis, all of a sudden it started to loosen up. Now you could argue as I argue against myself here that like Josh Allen was a physical specimen out of Wyoming, who was a piece of clay that you knew was going to take a while and fields as the back-to-back big 10 offensive player of the year should not need as much grooming. It's a totally reasonable counterpoint. But, like, we know that he was ruined playing in an Andy Dalton offense with a stubborn coach in Matt Nagy with a checked-out Allen Robinson and a good but obviously not high-pedigree player in Darnell Mooney. And now it's another system. So I just think we know he's starting the next 15 games, assuming health. So they're not going to bench him for Trevor Simeon. Right. So, you know what I mean? Like, we're going to get literally more data points the rest of the year than we've gotten in his career to this point. So we're not even – even if you count last year, which obviously accounts for something, we're not even at the halfway point with the minimum of what we're going to see from Justin Fields. So um, I – think that all of the stuff that everyone is saying is totally fair. And I'm saying it too. I mean, I said he was bad in week one and I said he was, I would have given him an F in week two. Like I'm not, I'm not pulling back on criticism from Justin Fields in the micro on the week to week, but in the macro, I think being out on him is, is crazy considering the circumstances he needs to, he needs to throw it before he sees it. Like he needs to trust that it's there. He seems to be the guy who needs to see it be open and then throw it. And that's just not how it works in the NFL. It can work in the Big Ten when you've got the most talented line and the most talented receivers and the most talented coach. It doesn't work in the NFL. And he's just clearly not there yet.
1: Yeah. And and that anticipation is critical. And I was actually talking to some people yesterday and I said to me that anticipating that that throw, that that play is going to develop, that that player is going to be open. Uh, that's that's the difference between becoming a backup or washing out of the league if you don't pick up that anticipation in those timing routes versus being a starting quarterback in the league for 10, 10 12 years. It's it's that critical. And you know, and I, I'm with you. I like the Josh Allen comp, especially because Allen took a while and year three was really when you saw him him blossom. And that may be the tour route as well. And, and to me, I I was saying. The, this game against the Ravens for Tua is either going to be the game that everyone points at as like the breakout game where Tua be you know became this top, you know, 15 viable quarterback in the league, or it's the Mitch Trubisky Tampa Bucks game, where there were just players streaking open by five, 10 yards. And you know, it was Tua finding him? Sure, but Mitch was finding him as well. And you have the Trubisky six touchdown Bucks game that at the time, you know, gave us all so much hope. And then you look back on it and go just about any quarterback in the league was going to have success with with, with that level uh, of of open players. So, um, you know, you, you talked about the talent efficiency and, and and absolutely, I think that's where it becomes difficult to grade Justin is because of that talent efficiency on offense. And, you know, I said in the offseason, I thought that it was potential taking quarterback out of it because we didn't know what fields was that the offense was arguably the least talented in the entire league. Uh, when you look at skill positions in the offensive line, I, I think that was, an, you know, people want to throw out Atlanta or other things. That's, that's fine. I, you know, I'm not saying it's a hundred percent accurate, but they're in that bottom group regardless. And that's where I think scheme and everything comes into play and, and play calling. And I think a lot of people were excited for Getzey and they should be coming from where, where he comes from and the things Aaron Rodgers says about him. There, there's absolutely things to be positive, but at the same time, this is a guy who's, who's a rookie play caller. He hasn't done this before. It hasn't been part of his job. And we're going to see Getze have growing pains as well. And I think this Packers game is going to be tough to judge because they only ran 40 plays, largely because the run defense was so bad, uh, the offense couldn't get on the field. And when the offense did get in the field, obviously we saw a lot of three and outs. But where are you in terms of Luke Getze's development as a play caller? You know, I saw some things I liked against San Francisco, and I saw some things, especially for me, second and long, consistently running the ball and putting Justin in third and longs constantly was, I think, my biggest frustration. But where are you with Getze's play calling through two games?
0: You know, it's funny you mentioned second and long, the arguably the best play of the Packers game was Montgomery's run on second and 20 for 25 yards. And I was like mortified that they called it, <laughs> you, you know, because it was like, I mean, yeah, it fucking worked. Sorry. Can we curse on this? Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, it worked, but like, that is not <laughs> you're down two scores at the end of the game in green Bay. Like, what are we doing? Like, I mean, again, it worked. So maybe he's a genius, but that, that was to me, very indicative of like a philosophical uh, separation. And just like, I want to see fields in that spot way more than I want to see David Montgomery. Um, I think that the, how few plays they ran overall made it tough to gauge. Right. I think, and I thought Adam Johns did a good job of pointing out that like Yeah, it was only 11 pass attempts, but there were three sacks, there were three tuck-and-runs, and and there was the play where he threw the ball when he ran past the line of scrimmage. So there were actually 18 called pass plays and 24 called run plays, and they ran the ball for over six yards of carry. So running it more than you were passing it in that spot was reasonable. And then in the Niners game, again – Weird game, monsoon, had a quarterback rating of two in the first half and then made some nice plays in the second half, right? So, like, I, I, I don't think we can go nuts. I think that, like, let's see if, like, Matt Nagy would keep saying, we're going to tailor the offense around the skill set of the players that we have. And then he never did it. He would, like, say the right thing but not do it. The Packers offensive coordinator after the Vikings game was like, hand up, bad job by me. We didn't get the ball to Jones and Dylan enough. We're going to do better at that going forward. And then they ran it down the bear's throat, right? Like he was like, I messed up. I put us in a bad position. I'm not going to do that again. So this week, Iberfaluz came out and we'll talk to, you know, we're recording this on a Wednesday. We'll talk to Getze on Thursday. I'm guessing he's going to parrot what Iberflus said. And Iberflus is like, we got to get the ball in the hands of our playmakers in the passing games. Like, we got to highlight our strengths. Well, in theory, that's Mooney and Komet. So I'm thinking against Houston, if these coaches are worth anything, we're going to see seven targets, eight targets to Darnell Mooney. We're going to see more than one deep shot. We're going to see Ryan Griffin block a little bit more and Cole Komet running some more routes. And we're going to, you know what I mean? Like they're going to, Hey, what are Cole Komet's five best plays? Let's be sure we call them. (laughs) Like, What are Darnell Mooney's five best plays? Let's be sure we call them and like make a concerted effort to do that. And I think it's totally reasonable to like with fields, give Getze that time because if Getzey doesn't trust his offensive line to pass protect and he doesn't trust fields to process and he's playing <laughs> against his former team and they're running the ball for six yards a clip, I might've run the ball a lot too in, in that spot. Right. Sure. So in that specific, like he's a human being going up against his old team and one thing is working and one thing is not. Because, man, let's be honest. Like, they need – they they look like they're a pretty good run-blocking offensive line. But the, the run-block, pass-block is vastly different. What we're It's seeing. vastly different. Like, Larry Borum, it, that guy's not a tackle in the NFL. He's not. We'll see on Braxton Jones. But Larry Borum is just not a good enough athlete to compete with these speed edge rushers that are out there. And so – I just think I think it's you know I, it's a cop out, but we have to let it play out. So some I like, some I don't like. I think he has dealt a very very difficult hand as a play caller. And again, I know I sound like I'm making excuses. This isn't like the best talk show host in me. You're supposed to like lose all context and nuance, and it's supposed to be one or zero, black or white, a binary thing. But like, the guys called plays for eight quarters with a quarterback learning his offense with bad tackles against a great defense in a monsoon and then at Lambeau at night. It, and they had 22 minutes of time of possession against the Packers. Right. Like, it's, I, I, I didn't look this up. Like, I'm not good at, like, the advanced stat research thing. I don't know if I can remember a game where you had 180 yards rushing in 22 minutes of time of possession.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a – yeah. It that runs seems
0: counterproductive impossible. to each other, yeah. That seems impossible, right? <laughs> like, you know, so it, it, I, I think we've seen a weird eight quarters, and we need to talk once we've seen 28 quarters, you know? Like, I, I just – I think it's, like, way too early, and what we've seen has just been weird, like, for better and worse, right? Because they won one of these games. Right, right. Like, you know, like th- that they were a touchdown underdog in. So it's not like it's all an excuse for them. Like, I, I think if they play the Niners in a dome 10 times, I think they lose nine of them. I would agree with that. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I now they were both playing in the same conditions, but I think the conditions randomized that game, right? I think it that, like, leveled the playing field because of how weird that game was. Yeah, and that's, so, it, it, yeah tot- a very tough game to judge. So I think it's a tough game to judge everybody. So I think, I think, I think, I think, you know what I mean? So like now the next two games, right? Texans at home. Texans at home is as good of a situation as you can get in the NFL, right? Yeah, absolutely. Not talented, quiet home field for you. Defense that you absolutely, that you practice against. Like this should be, this should be a, this is as easy of a game as you could possibly have. You're still relatively healthy. You're at home, the whole thing. Uh, and then at the Giants, I know they're two and zero, but whatever. They're not very right. good. They're not very yeah. talented. Like they're so. even if the Giants end up going nine and eight this year, you know it's a,
1: it's a little bit puffed up. And yeah,
0: it, yeah. I, Saquon might. I, run I know you said you said twenty
1: eight quarters. For me, I think we're going to be able to at least ensure can things develop over the next thirteen games. Absolutely, these next two games for me are critical games. You know, the talent level comes down, the winnability comes, comes way up. Uh, And yes, I understand they beat beat San Francisco, but that's I think in terms of getting a better feel for this offense and the talent and, you know, who potentially are building blocks and what all the, I think these next two games, we're going to learn a lot more about this team than we did in the first two games. Um, You know, a couple of quick ones before I let you go. Uh, One, defensive side of the ball you know been pretty pretty pleased with the pass rush run defense obviously has been been woeful gordon and brisker you know i think briskers look better but you know both have had flash you know moments where you sit there and go that's good to see out of a rookie you know gordon they're asking him to do a lot and i think sometimes that's showing in the results but the one guy who i think's looked really flat Uh, through two games and if you want to say lack of training camp new scheme and no practice you know whatever you want to do Roquan Smith has not been the defensive stalwart that I think a lot of Bears fans expect him to be Um, do you have any concerns about Roquan in this new defense and trying to be the same player he's been the last couple of years
0: I think it's an adjustment. I think he's crazy talented sideline to sideline. And I think that he's likely going to have better games than he did. I mean, on the two Aaron Jones touchdowns, the guy who was like last engaged blocking Roquan Smith when I went back and watched one, one, it was AJ Dillon and one, it was Alan Lazard. Like that's just not, that's not acceptable. Right. right? <laughs> like, like Alan Lazard can't be taking Roquan Smith out of a play. And I'm not saying he pancaked him but he shouldn't be able to engage downfield in a block with Roquan Smith and not have Roquan throw him aside like a rag doll. So he's clearly not himself. Um, I think it's obviously possible that it's partly the defensive transition and then not having guys like Akeem Hicks up front. Um, I think that's probably part of it. Uh, I think the training camp thing is probably part of it. Um, But I certainly know this. 20 million a year for a linebacker who's not a pass rusher or a turnover generator is not a good way to spend money, even if he leads the league in tackles this year. You know, it's just it's just not a good way to spend money. So you need you need to do the game-changing plays. You need to be a true difference maker, sacking the quarterback, forcing fumbles, getting interceptions, et cetera. And he just hasn't proven that. So um, obviously they can tag him at the end of the year. So I don't think Roquan's going anywhere because uh, I assume he will have some nice moments and get better as the year goes on and his familiarity in the system improves. But I mean, so far it's been, it's been a disaster for Roquan.
1: Yeah. has rough, rough start for sure. All right. Last one before I let you go was the Justin Fields comment about the fans, the biggest non-story
0: story that you've seen in a while it was just the internet, man. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think you could have walked around the streets of Chicago and asked a thousand people about Justin Fields, insulting the fans. And I don't think you would have found 10 people who knew what the hell (laughs) you were talking about. You know what I mean? It was, it was just, it was such an internet story. Um, He speaks today. I'm sure he'll be asked about it because we let the internet be the tail that wags the dog in our business way too much. And I'm sure he'll be prepared for, for the question. The question was literally like, does it hurt more because of how much the fans care about the game and the rivalry? And he was, he, the first thing he said was, yeah, by the way, the first thing he said was affirmative to that notion. And then he was like, but I promise you it hurts us more because they're not doing anything and we're doing a ton of stuff for it. He's not saying it doesn't hurt fans. He's not saying that fans don't care. It it was so dumb. Um, And it was right after a game and He he was a little off post game. Like he was pretty short and curt and down and pissed about not throwing it more. And you know what I mean? Like he was, he was pissed. Um, I hate that stuff. I think it's so stupid. Like there's, listen, picking fights with fans is a losing proposition. I'll criticize athletes for doing it. You know what I mean? I, but like you got to actually do it. Like if Justin Fields, if Justin Fields comes out today and is like, no, I meant everything I said like Bears fans don't respect us. They don't care. As soon as the game ends, they go on Pornhub and go to sleep and we go home and get in an ice bath and watch the games and they cheer us when we do well. And they boo us when we do poorly. They're a bunch of fair weather phonies. Well, then he's an idiot, you know, you know, what I mean? but that's not what he said. Like, right. so I, I, I think that it, It's, uh, and by the way, no person really even was offended by it. It was like Barstool tweeting it out from their like official account or like the action network tweeting it out from their official account. There wasn't any like person, there were some, there were some fans, there were some, you know what I mean? There were some human beings, but there was not any like person who was in the room or notable fan, you know what I mean? That was like, sure. it was just a comment that you could, if you framed it through the prism of what you said in the tweet, right? Whoa, how is this going to go over with Bears fans in Chicago? Justin Fields taking a shot at the fans. And then you tweet out the video. It's like, well, if I see that as the caption, I think that that's what he's saying, right? you know, but no one really said that it was just, corporate accounts saying that because they knew it would do numbers on the internet. So I hated that story because it was, but it wasn't even a real, it wasn't even a story. It was, <laughs> it was the internet. That was that was just an internet story. And so we spent two minutes talking about it on the show and then moved on to talk about football.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's all you should have. I, I, I completely agree. It was a non-story. It was a fabricated story in essence is, is what it ended up being. But uh, there he is at Danny Parkins on Twitter. You hear him on the score. Danny, thanks for so much time. Really appreciate the conversation. And we'll talk to you again soon.
0: Anytime, Bill. Thanks, man.
1: All right. There he is. Danny Parkins, everybody. Always a great conversation with Danny. And I thought he had plenty of interesting things to say. And look, he's he's right, I, I think, on a lot of levels. It's really tough to judge the Chicago Bears team after these two games. Again, two very good teams. Fluky conditions in week one. And yeah, at Lambeau prime time, that, that is a tall order for a young team that has a pretty big talent discrepancy compared to where Green Bay is. So again, where are we at here? We can sit here and say it's tough to judge this team, and we've got plenty more games to, to really get a better idea where this team is. But again, right now, there are things here that you have to be concerned about moving forward. And again... My focal point is Justin Fields. Is Justin Fields the guy? Again, the offseason approach had issues with, and I think they're rearing up a little bit right here, right now. Hopefully, that proves to not be the case and things get ironed out here, you know, in the near future here, starting with Houston. But right now, I think what they've done in the offseason for Justin Fields is rearing itself here, right now. I think the offensive line, the pass blocking, It needs to be better. It has to be better. And Justin Fields has to trust that it'll be better. And that's tough to do until he sees results in front of him. Mooney has to be involved in this offense. Getze has to do better on getting them to third and manageable. You'd like to see him avoid third downs regularly, but that's impossible. There's gonna be third downs. can't, Can't be third and nine. We have to stop with third and nine. You've got to make sure you're getting plays to pick up some yards here or there and get them to third and four. It's got to be more manageable. That, that has to be better. And, and they have to stop the run. If they don't stop the run, I mean, the Bears are on pace to give up over 3,000. Their Bears are on pace to give up more rushing yards than any team in the history of the NFL. And I understand it is only two games, and it was two very good rushing attacks. But they have to be better against stopping the run. They have to be. They have to force teams to throw which will force them in completions stop the clock get the Bears back out on the field and then obviously when the Bears offense is back out on the field they need to not have three and outs they need to be more efficient at least if you're not going to have a scoring drive at least pick up a couple first downs get the ball to the you know the 45 your own 45 where you can punt and try and pin them back a little bit play the field position game a little bit you can't keep doing three and outs. Eventually, you're just going to get burned. And we saw that with the Bears. You know, they, the Bears did a good job opening up against the Packers. They held them three points. That was good to see. You got Justin Fields and, and and David Montgomery. And it's, you know, the Bears score a touchdown. And you're sitting there saying, okay, you know, things are efficient. Things are going well. And then, obviously, the, the wheels fell off. Why? Because they weren't stopping the run. Because they weren't getting the third manageable. And, and the game fell apart we need to see better execution rebuilding year or not we need to see better execution and we need to see better execution from kyler gordon yes he's a rookie he needs to play better are the bears asking him to to do too much i think so but that's what he's being asked to do so he needs to do it better brisker we need to keep seeing improvements here roquan needs to get his head out of you know what you know, Travis Gibson needs to keep developing. We need to see more out of that. Dominique Robinson needs to keep developing. We need to see more out of that. We need to see better pass blocking. I can keep listing it on and on and on. But just because it's a rebuilding year, it doesn't mean you can't look at this team and look at some deficiencies they have and, and wonder how this can improve throughout this season. Because again, everything, you know, weaves together. And Justin Fields, If the run defense doesn't improve, Justin Fields isn't gonna be on the field enough to really develop. If the pass blocking doesn't improve, then Justin Fields isn't gonna be able to sit in the pocket and have, you know, and and really get comfortable in this scheme. Again, if Justin Fields isn't comfortable and finding guys, then Darnell Mooney's not gonna be involved. Again, it's all tied together and we need to see some better execution from this team, from top to bottom, just in general to know that this team is going to be more competitive moving forward. Like I said, Texans and Giants coming up, two winnable games, and I think they're going to beat the Houston Texans. I really do. I, I think there's a comfort level there with the on the defensive side of the ball. We heard Danny Parkins mention it. The Texans do not have a lot of talent either. I know They're, they're a pesky team, but they don't have a lot of talent either. I think you're really going to get a better judge as to where this team is, because if this team... Loses to the Houston Texans, you know, 31 to 14 at home. That's alarming. But, you know, if they win, and I don't care if they win, you know, 20, 24 to 20, and it's pretty close. They win a game, and, and the offense looks pretty competent, and Justin Fields, the passing game has improved, and they, you know, with a lesser run team, the run defense looks better, great and I'm all for it and let's move forward and then we get a better idea of kind of what this team is in terms of who they can compete with and who they're not ready to compete with. But right now based on what, we've got two games in, we've got eight quarters and they're weird, weird games, I get that, but there is enough here now to sit here and at least point out, okay, this is where this team needs to focus on getting better to improve and come together as a team throughout this entire season. So again, I think they're gonna win and I'll stick with that. Let's go 24-20 Chicago Bears with the victory. They cover the three against the Houston Texans. We'll talk to you next week. Bear it out everybody. Adios.